0: not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: Colin McWay is uh, a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. He has written an incredible book called A Citizen on the Constitution, Consent in Communism. Well, that comes back to the whole problem in the judiciary is that judges are chosen for their political beliefs rather for their, than their ability to, to not interpret the law, but to read the law and act accordingly. That is one of my, my primary uh, arguments with the legal system. And, and that's why I, I said in the beginning that the Constitution is really a contract. Now, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to be one when I grow up, I don't even want to grow up for that matter, but, you know, I know what a contract is. I've signed many contracts in my, in my day. I've even written a few, you know, just because it's pretty easy. A contract is, and I love this phrase, it's a quid pro quo, isn't it? Right. I want something that you have. You have something that I want. You want something from me in return, and we sit down and we make an agreement. Then, in order that there not be a misunderstanding, the two of us are going to write down that agreement on a piece of paper. We're going to spell out everything that we need to spell out so that you're comfortable and I'm comfortable, and then we both sign it. That's a contract, and it's in writing on a piece of paper. It does not need to be interpreted. And it's, it is what it is. It's a, it's a, you know, in one of the things I talk about in the book
2: is in our kind of sports-dominated culture right if we if we looked at and i've done this with some uh friends of mine that are on the uh kind of other side of political beliefs than that i am and we'll go golfing and i'll and you know they all know my political views and i'll say well let's do this you have to play by the strict rules of golf because those are very important rules to you and i'm going to I'm going to interpret those rules, you know, so if, you know, if it's a par five, that means you're supposed to get a five on that hole. So necessarily, irrespective of my score, I'm going to take a five because that was the intent of the, of the hole. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. So um, they don't like that. And we, we, and we see, uh, you know, there are more people that protested, and I'm not particularly a football fan, but there was a game a couple years ago where I guess a, a ref made a particularly egregious call, and there was half a million people that protested. Well, if you know the rules of football that much, shouldn't, you know, I call them the rules of the Republic and the more people that knew the rules of the Republic, which is the purpose really for the book, um, to hold these people to account, we couldn't be getting away. They couldn't be getting away with what they're getting away with.
1: And it is, you're right. It is. It's just a contract. And you know, (laughs) I don't play golf either. So, and I don't expect to in my life, um, However, one of the things you might want to try with your friends is just explain to them that when, they're, when you're all done with your 18 holes, you take up the total points and divide it by four, and that's what everyone gets. I'm sure they'd like that one. Well, some would. Some would really hate it. <laughs> <laughs> True. But again, let's get back to general welfare, because general welfare is, is, to me, one of the greatest concepts in the Constitution. And it goes back to uh, that phrase that you often hear thrown in your face is that this is a na- we're a nation of immigrants and uh, this is the great melting pot. Uh, yes, it used to be. It used to be a great melting pot. When my grandparents came to this country 125 years ago or so, They had their desires were really very, very limited. They wanted to uh, learn English, they wanted to get a job, and they wanted to be Americans, period. There is is no way that any one of them would be caught dead carrying the flag of their country of origin or being in in any way other than an American. There was no hyphens. They didn't worry about where they came from. They came here. They were Americans. That's the concept of the melting pot. If you take a whole bunch of different cheeses and you put them in a melting pot, that cheese, that melted fondue, takes the flavor of all the cheeses but the key is you cannot go into the pot and pick out the cheddar there is no individual cheese in there that to me is what the general welfare means and i'm sure that our founders had the same thought in mind
2: well yeah and when we had the the big you know legal immigration influx in the early part of the 20th century you know you had people that were so intent on making themselves American and making their kids American, you know, to the point, and my wife is one of them, uh, you know, uh, her uh, family last name originally was Mueller, uh, which, and she's from Minnesota and the family thought that sounded too German. So they changed it to Miller. They wanted to sound and be American. And I think that we're, you know, we're losing that and we have this balkanization, um, you know, where people are are viewed, you know, in some aggrieved or quasi-aggrieved group as opposed to as opposed to individuals. And you know, when I think about the American Revolution, I often think about it in context with the French Revolution. And there's an interesting kind of subtle difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution. The American Revolution was about the rights of men. The French Revolution was about the rights of man. And the rights of men are individual rights, and the rights of man are collective rights. And slowly over time, we have grown more and more into the collective as opposed to individual rights and
1: freedoms. They talk about a collective, but it's not really a collective because they have assigned you to a group, and that is the mechanism for destroying the unity of the country. So yes, it's the collective good, but again, some people are more, some groups of people are more equal than others. And so we've ended up with a country where we've sort of been turned, the pyramid's been sort of turned upside down when you, when you come right down to it. So things that should be illegal and wrong are rewarded, and those who follow the rules are getting the short end of the stick. That's not the general welfare
2: that is not for the general welfare and i think that you know in a in a kind of similar fashion a phrase that is is abused because not enough citizens really know what it means is the necess- what's called the necessary and proper clause which appears at the end of article 1 section 8 of the constitution um, and just you know we throw out these you know articles and sections i think about it just kind of very very simply as so article 1 is is where the the constitution deals with the legislature. Um and in article 1 section 1 is where it defines what the uh the role of the congress is supposed to be. Articles 2 through 6 uh, uh, uh I'm sorry, sections 2 through 6 describe the the qualifications and how they get elected and these kind of things. Article Article uh, 1, Section 7 describes the uh, way a bill becomes a law. You know, you can watch that on Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, article 1, Section 8 are the things that Congress can do. That's it. If you want to see what's in the Constitution and, and see what the, the federal government has purview over, it's there. It's and it's only there. Article one, section nine, are the things that Congress can't do. Article one, section ten, are the things that the states can't do. So when we think about it in those perhaps more simple terms. Um, we kind of, I think, have a, a, an easier way to understand what's happening. And it's one of the things I try to do in the book is break it down that way. But at the end of Article One, Section 8, which is, again, what the, the federal government can do, they have the Necessary and Proper Clause. So when the other side is trying to encroach more and more on your liberties, they say, well, we can do anything that's necessary and proper. And what they don't do, and I, and I say this in, in my book, is they don't read the whole sentence because the rest of the sentence says, in order to execute the foregoing. So what that means is I just listed these 26 things, and I, and because, the you know, to, to Dr. Dan's uh, point before, they didn't go to the trouble of actually making the laws pertaining to all those things. They need to grant themselves the power now to make laws around these things. So the necessary and proper clause says, I get these 26 things that I'm responsible for. I'm now going to make uh, laws around them. And so I always say that the the, the other side either has uh, is purposefully misreading it or has a learning disability because it could not be more clear. And it's emphasize that that is the actual intent of the necessary and proper clause again prima facie it just says what it says but then we see it appear again and again and again throughout the constitution uh as soon as the third amendment which is the uh, quartering uh you can't quarter soldiers in somebody's house but then they give themselves the ability unless prescribed by law in some way and then we see it appear again in the you know 14th 15th amendment and and throughout the rest of the amendment process where um the the federal government asked for consent over certain things right whether it's voting rights or uh you know you know women's voting rights or uh you know alcohol and then they said all right now we have the ability to legislate around this but we didn't have this in one of our listed foregoing powers so i have to give myself another necessary and proper clause so actually the constitution has you know uh, i don't know the exact number but probably a dozen uh necessary and proper clauses as each time they asked for more power uh they needed to now give themselves the ability to uh to legislate around that
1: how about the commerce clause how about the Commerce Clause? Yeah, how about it? How much, how much have we lost rights based on the Com- Commerce Clause?
2: I think that if, if we only did one thing as a country um, to regain our liberty, I think that if, if we could get the Commerce Clause back, um, it would change a lot of things. Um, it's, uh, you know, I always say <laughs> if, if the federal government can only uh, legislate around these 26 different things, why is it that I have a... A mattress tag on my mattress from the federal government. Where's the where's mattress? Well, mattress happens because of the, of the commerce clause. And now they can control every single little thing. And again, the, the words matter. It's among the states. They were simply trying to make sure the states didn't tax one another to prohibit, you know, you know, just like we're doing now with China, right? With the tariffs. The states at one point in time under the articles were taxing or tariffing one another. And they wanted to have free flow of commerce and it's if there 's one thing that people could really try to wrap their head around um, because a lot there 's a lot here you know there 's a lot gone wrong and a lot of things that we can point to, but that is uh, the big one you know and the other thing around uh, the the uh, necessary and proper clause is we, we have to look at the government 's uh, taxing clause in the same light. The country has gone so far askew because of some Supreme Court uh, rulings that uh, basically said that if you can cloak it in a tax, you can do it uh, because we have the ability to tax. But that's not the proper interpretation. You can tax for whatever you want, perhaps, Although we needed the Sixteenth Amendment to do the income tax, and we needed another amendment to do wealth tax, et cetera, but what you spend the money on is limited to what's in Article One, Section Eight, and it has been, uh, and that's how we got to Social Security, and that's how we got to Medicare. They said cloak it in a tax, and you can have what you want, and it's just a wholly inaccurate reading of an intent of that clause.
1: We're talking with Colin McQuay, who has written an incredible book called A Citizen on the Constitution, Consent, and Communism, a modern discussion about constitutional originalism and how socialism is illegal under our Constitution. This is Dr. Dan, and we're back with Colin McQuay. He's written an incredible book. I urge all of you to get it. A Citizen on the Constitution, Consent, and Communism, a Modern Discussion about Constitutional Originalism and how socialism is illegal under the Constitution. We've been discussing uh, the Constitution itself, uh, the history of the Constitution, uh, and the way the Constitution was written and, and what the actual words mean, uh, it's a very important discussion uh, to understand that the, the Constitution itself is, I look at it as kind of like the, uh, the owner's manual or operating manual for the federal government. The most important part of the Constitution for you and me are the first ten amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, because that really specifies and sets out the relationship between each individual citizen and the federal government. Uh, a quick review is that uh, we, those rights that we have in the Bill of Rights are natural law rights. They come to us by dint of our humanity. They're God-given rights. And the government is supposed to protect and secure those rights, not change them, take them away, or alter them in any way. Uh, we've talked about the General Welfare Clause, the fact that uh, everyone, every, all men are created equal, Uh, Those are concepts that are really important to our government, to our country. It is the basis on which our country was founded. So we've come along 230 years now since the Constitution was written. Lots has happened in our country, uh, and lots of things are changed. So, Colin McQuay, let's talk about what has changed and how those changes have come about over 230 years well i think almost everything is almost everything has changed from how it was originally supposed
2: to be set up um i think that the 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 reason it has changed is because the uh the other side has i think claimed the language and moved us away from making what i would kind of view as structural arguments Mm -hmm. into much more emotional arguments and you know when i think about um you know, the, uh, the the reasons and, and examples of, of how they do that, you know, I think education is a is a great example. And one of my favorites is, you know, everyone thinks education is important. You cannot ask a single person in the country, do you think education is important? So it's easy to get wrapped in the emotional side of that. And most people, if you were to take a poll, you know, do you think the the Department of Education should be disbanded? And the overwhelming majority of people would say no. But the overwhelming majority of the people don't know that there's no reference, there's no standing, as I call it, whatsoever for the federal government in education. And this is kind of a, a typical uh, you know methodology of the of the other side. Let's get it wrapped up in an emotional argument and you know, you don't want old people to die, do you, kind of things. Well, if these are such good ideas, why don't we ask for the consent of the governed to give the, gov- the government standing over these issues, and part of how they do this is they claim the language much better than people with conservative uh, kind of outlook do, and and we're forced to kind of live under their their language, and a couple of the, the things that they do, uh, one is this. Discussion of right wing and left wing, and they call us you know right wingers and uh, they won 't typically call people left wingers, but they look at this thing uh, on a line as a continuum, so one of the things that I do in the in the book is i say well let 's let 's understand what right wing is and what left wing is and let 's see am I right wing or am I left wing or am I something else and maybe there 's just a different way to look at this and when we look at the origins of right wing and left wing, it comes out of uh, the French Revolution, just before the French Revolution, and those people that were on the side of King Louis were um, sat to his right in Parliament, literally, that's why they were on the right wing, and those that were for um, the Revolution were sat to his left. And when we think about, all right, so that's great, it comes out of France, but to call me a right winger then says that I am in support of monarchy. Well, I'm not in support of monarchy. I couldn't be farther away. <laughs> I believe all men are created equal. I believe in, in individual liberty. I believe in, uh, unalienable rights. I, I have nothing to do with right wing monarchy. And then when we look at the left wing side, well, what's, what was that about? Well, They wanted to be free from monarchy, sure, but they also wanted a collective, right? They wanted, you know, the rights of man, uh, which actually was written in part by uh, our own Thomas Jefferson, but they weren't looking for the individual liberty uh, that we have here in this country. So if I'm not one that believes in monarchy and I'm not one that believes in the collective, well, what am I? And as we kind of fast-forward from the French Revolution to kind of the ultimate manifestation of a right-winger is Adolf Hitler, and the ultimate manifestation of a left-winger is uh, Joseph Stalin. Well, I don't think there's much difference between Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. They're both totalitarian psychopaths. And so maybe what we're looking at is not a line of right-wing and left-wing at all. Maybe instead it's a circle, and at the top of the circle, you have uh, these right-wing and left-wing kind of tyrannical uh, totalitarian ideologies, and 180 degrees away from that on the circle at the bottom is liberty. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom.
1: I get joy in everything, everything, everything. Yeah, everything gonna be all right this morning <laughs>